Welcome to episode 158 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, author of What, When, Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Jen Stevens, author of Delay, Don't Deny, Living an Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and jenstevens.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice or treatment. So, pour yourself a cup of black coffee, a mug of tea, or even a glass of wine, if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Hi friends, here's something Jen and I would like you to think about. Is your fast clean inside and out? Okay, think about it for a second. There's basically two things that you put in your body each and every day. One is food. Can you guess what the other is? That would be our skincare and makeup. As it turns out, our skin is actually our body's largest organ, and it absorbs what we put on it. So while you may be fasting clean with your black coffee, it's very likely that you're putting toxins straight into your body with your skincare. Did you know that in the UK, they've banned over 3,000 ingredients found in conventional skincare and makeup as being endocrine disruptors, carcinogens, and harboring other toxic effects, and in the US, they've banned less than 10. In fact, Companies can actually put whatever they want into our skincare and not tell you what it is. All they have to do is call it fragrance. That's why Jen and I are obsessed with Beauty Counter to keep our fast clean inside and out. Beauty Counter makes makeup and skincare products that are extensively tested to be safe for your skin. You can finally feel good about what you're putting on and therefore in your body. If you want to make the switch to safer skincare like we have, you can shop with us at melanieavalon.com slash beauty counter. You'll know you're in the right place when you see Jen's face in the top left corner. And if you use that link, something really special and magical might happen after you place your first order. You can also get on my free clean beauty email list. That's at melanieavalon.com slash clean beauty. You'll learn more about the science of safe skincare, get exclusive giveaways from me, and so much more. So again, to join Jen and me in cleaning up your skincare, just go to melanieavalon.com slash beauty counter. And while we're talking about tainted things, did you hear about the recent shipment of avocados that was tainted with a possibly fatal bacteria? That doesn't mean you should never eat avocados. It means that all of us benefit when we're a little more careful about bad bacteria and how we can handle them. If you've been struggling with viruses and you don't have the energy you used to have, then it's more than likely that your body has been producing too much of a stress hormone called cortisol and that you might be playing host to too much bad bacteria. Especially now with all of the mass media surrounding the coronavirus, we'd like to remind everyone that being in fear and panic lowers our immune response and our ability to deal with disease or trauma. One potential solution can be probiotics, but the problem with most probiotics is that they can seem to use big numbers of billions of colony-forming units to change your gut microbiome, but research actually doesn't support this for all strains. Studies actually show that many probiotics go through your system and don't do very much. That's why you can focus on a probiotic that protects your gut and immune system from specifically the dangerous forms of bad bacteria, kind of like the ones that were on those avocados. That's why we're big fans here of a probiotic called P3OM. It uses just one proven probiotic strain that is so effective it's been patented. And what it does really well is that it can fight off the bad guys. Things like parasites, viruses, and other pathogens in your gut. P3OM is so awesome at fighting bad bacteria and upgrading your digestion that you can actually see it break down food online when you go to p3om.com slash ifpodcast. You can actually see it break down a piece of steak. Literally. That's P3, the letter O, M, forward slash, I-F-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. And the guys at Bioptimizers are so confident that you're going to like it, they'll give you all your money back if you don't. Just read all the details in their policy. And of course, we have a special offer just for our listeners. If you go to p3om.com forward slash IF podcast 
and use the coupon code IFPODCAST10, you'll get 10% off your order. Again, that's p3om.com forward slash IFPODCAST with the coupon code IFPODCAST10 for 10% off your order. So if you've never tried a high-end probiotic that can help push the bad guys out of your gut, or if you've had problems with your gut, or you just don't feel good after a trip, or you just had antibiotics, or whatever it may be, definitely give this stuff a try. All right, now enjoy the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 158 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Jen Stevens. Hi, everybody. How are you today, Jen? Well, I'm doing great. I am coming to you from a different room of my house today. What made that decision to switch? Well, (laughs) I don't know. How much had I shared with you about recording the audiobook for Fast Feast Repeat? Did you know I was supposed to go to Atlanta, but that got canceled? Yes. So I was supposed to record it in Atlanta early this week, and they had me scheduled in a professional recording studio. And then, of course, we're shelter in place, so I can't go to Atlanta. And the recording studio is also closed, and <laughs> there's nowhere for me to go in town either. Like the radio stations are like, nope, sorry, closed for you. <laughs> so we actually had the idea, like McMillan was like, you know what? You might not be able to record it. We might have to hire someone to do it who has a home studio I'm like, well, let's try to be creative. They told me what kind of space I needed to record in. Apparently, where I record for the podcast, my normal podcast studio is too echoey. So I have set up this little nook in my kitchen. It's like a little desk nook. It used to have folding doors. I think it used to, a long time ago, be where the laundry room was in the original house, you know, way before we bought it. It's like one of those little laundry pantry nook kind of things, but they put a desk in it at some point. And so I'm in this little tiny little nook and I have draped a comforter behind me and I'm at the computer and I have blankets all around to try to shield the sound. And so yesterday I recorded part of the audiobook. We have a lot more recording to go, but I'm on with a, I guess, director slash producer from Macmillan who's directing me through the the reading of my book. So I am going to get to record it, which was kind of ironic because we put it in the contract that I would record it because I wanted to. And then it looked like I wouldn't, because they were like, well, if you can't, we reserve the right to hire someone. I'm like, that's fine. Why wouldn't I be able to? (laughs) I mean, I actually thought that. What would stop me? Nothing. So nothing but a pandemic. So you're always going to record now? Is this the new recording area? It sounds really good. Well, it's not as convenient for our family. Well, I know it's just me and Chad at home, but, you know, he can't come in the kitchen and cook himself some lunch or, you know, raise the garage door. It's new new problems from this space. It's a really good space, but I'm also closed in in this little closet and, you know, there's no heater cool vent in here, so it's likely to get stuffy. So I don't know. It made me think about how can I make the place I normally record a little better. Oh, true. Yeah, that's great. But, you know, I don't have kids outside riding bikes either because I'm in more a central area of the house. There's no window right here. So it's really, if I lived here by myself, I would probably just make the switch. Well, I've said from day one, you could outfit that room, (laughs) like with the stuff. It made me realize how the windows are a flaw. Yeah. Because, you know, like if the neighbor's out in the front yard with his blower, you know, that's really close and it would come through the window no matter what I do. But here, I'm not going to hear the neighbor because I'm I'm like more central. Like the wall in front of me is the laundry room. The wall to my left is the garage. The wall to the right is like the kitchen dining area. And then behind me is this blanket. So I'm not like on an outside wall. There's not a window. Anyway, it's a lot more sheltered. So we'll see. I don't know. But oh, recording an audiobook is hard work. <laughs> Oh, yes. I've done quite a few. (laughs) Yeah, I did it for two and a half hours yesterday, and it wore me out, and we just barely feel like did any. So I hear you. That's exciting, though. Do you record right there in your apartment? I do. All right. Yeah, it's hard, but I am excited to do it. So it's very exciting. At least you don't have to edit it. Oh, thank the Lord. Yeah. When I first started doing audiobooks with like no experience, like, yay, let me do audiobooks. I, oh, yeah. (laughs) I had to edit them too, which takes about four times the amount of time, like for each minute. Oh, yeah, it does. And, you know, I'm also really grateful to have a professional, you know, directing me through it. He's like, read that part again. It sounded weird. Or I heard your breath in the microphone. Read that again. So it's really great to have guidance. Yeah, I bet. 
so helpful. Also, I have another funny thing to tell you. Uh huh. This week, I've come to a huge realization about my sleep. What is that? I need a darker room than I've had, which sounds so stupid, but ever since we moved, my room has not been dark. Stop. Who are you talking to? <laughs> you think I think that sounds stupid? <laughs> no, it sounds stupid that it took me this long to realize it. Oh, oh, oh I thought you meant that you need a darker room. <laughs> I was like, oh, no. Um, no. Wait, I am very excited right now. Okay. We moved in this house at the end of August, okay? And the bedroom is really different than my old bedroom. My old bedroom didn't have any windows in the sleeping part of it. It had one door, but I had a shade over the door. And then it had some weird sliding doors way on the other end. And it was dark until the sun came up. You didn't get a lot of light coming in. So, you know, we lived in that house since 2005. So we moved in August and, you know, new house, not sleeping as well. I'm going through menopause, not sleeping as well. Wine, not sleeping as well. And I did notice that when I drank wine that wasn't dry farm wines, I didn't sleep as well. So that's true. But last week we had a full moon and I hadn't had any wine or alcohol at all. And I had like the worst night's sleep ever. And I'm like, in the middle of the night, I'm like, why can't I sleep? And I'm like, why is it so bright in here? (laughs) And then I realized it was so much light coming in through the window because we have these balloon shades that don't go all the way down and they're a real pain to raise and lower. They're not like blinds. You have to use these little cord and get it just right. So I realized that we have these drapes that actually, you know those drapes they have in a hotel that you can pull the cords and it like closes them? Yeah. Well, my bedroom has those drapes that the old owners probably paid a ton of money for. They're beautiful and we love them, but you can close them. So I've been closing them at night when we go to sleep and it is pitch dark in the bedroom and I am sleeping like a log. No, it's huge. Like the one of the first things I bought when I moved here was, I'll put a link to it in the show notes, but I got red ones. They're really beautiful, but they're specifically like blackout curtains, but they're really, really thick, like hotel curtains. And I mean, it's a game changer. We have windows on either side of the bed. And so we have streetlights out there. You know, the whole layout of this this house is so different. So I think even when it wasn't a full moon, we were getting the streetlight light. And man, it's made a huge difference. And I feel so silly that I hadn't thought of that or realized that was keeping my sleep from being deep. So with the two things I've changed, back to dry farm wines 100%. I mean, 100%. That's, that's it. That's the wine I'm drinking now because it really makes a difference. And number two, dark bedroom. It's like my life has changed. Do you know number three will be? What will number three be? And I didn't plan this because they are sponsored today. But if you start using the red glasses right before bed. I mean, I fall asleep very quickly. No, but like literally as far as it's insane. So basically for listeners, listen to the spot in the middle of this podcast. Did not plan this, but uh, Blue Blocks, they make blue light blocking glasses. And when I started using blue light blocking glasses for the first time. It wasn't Blue Blocks, the company, because this was a while back and they started like after I had started using them. But the ones that like are red that completely block all blue, if you put them on right before bed and then especially combined with, you know, blocking out your room and everything, game changer, game changer. Because basically blue light and which that's what comes in through your curtains or, you know, peeking through through the windows if they're not completely blacked out, that just tells your brain... We're not sleeping right now. Well, yeah, I think that's what it's been telling me. And, you know, the wine change is really huge. I can't believe what a big change that's been. But the light, I feel so dumb. Like I said, I'm excited for you to get the red glasses and you'll say the same thing. Sleep is important and it's been it's been a struggle. I've just been struggling. I've talked about it a lot, not sleeping. And I was like, well, it's just menopause. It's just No, I really think it's the house. <laughs> Let's get you a pair of the red glasses so you can report back. Because I, I swear we'll have this conversation. It'll be deja vu. And you'll be like, it took me so long to realize. Okay, now I'm excited. I'm putting this on my to-do list. All right. Well, I'll try. I just can never remember to do stuff like that. That's my problem. I, like, don't remember. No, I totally understand. If you just do it a few times and then you start seeing the benefits. Like, I had to write myself a note to remember to draw the curtains. Like, I wrote a note and put it beside the bed. And then every night I'm getting into bed, I'm like, oh, yeah, draw the curtains. Okay, so add to that note, put on red glasses. But I'm, I have to put them on way before. But I have to put the note somewhere else, like on the television. I don't know. I'll have to put a note somewhere. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. But, you know, sleep is really important to help. And I'm just so excited that I figured something out that I think is going to really help me. 
I'm really excited because I think you're going to go with this momentum with the glasses and be double excited. Then you'll be me and you'll do the chili pad and the EMF blocking canopy. And <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. One more thing for listeners, Dry Farm Wines, if anybody would like a bottle for free, and again, not planned, dryfarmwines.com slash podcast. The reason they help you sleep is because... The wines are tested to be free of toxins, mold, pesticides. They're low sugar. They're low alcohol. Basically, they're all the benefits of wine with none of the toxic issues that most conventional wine has. And people are like, oh, it's not going to make a difference. But Jen? Well, I think it really does. And if you're sleeping terribly already, whether it's menopause or (laughs) your curtain situation, you know. The first thing I did when I said, okay, I'm going back to dry farm wines, and I, I noticed a difference with my sleep just from that. But closing the curtains makes such a difference that I'm really mad that I didn't do it sooner. So true. I have some fasting-related stuff to share. Love it. So, well, first of all, the past two weeks have been insane. <laughs> Remind me never again to do two weeks in a row of record the interview, edit the next day, release, then repeat. Remind me for my other show. I'm not, because if you want to, you're going to, so you'll do it. I know. <laughs> well, for listeners, so on the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast, normally I record with guests and release you know, months later, but with COVID and everything, the information is changing so fast that I wanted to put out information really relevant. So back to back, I interviewed Dr. Kirk Parsley, Speaking of sleep, he makes sleep remedy, which is the other go-to. If you if you take one supplement for sleep, I recommend that. I'll put the code for it in the show notes. I think I have a 10% off code. So his interview was all about more like the stats of COVID and like evaluating risk and what does this mean? It was about that. And then the next week, which I just finished, so this week, was David Sinclair, who obviously, you know, I'm like, he's my favorite. And I was really grateful that I had the interview with Dr. Kirk Parsley because he really tackled the like the stats and the numbers and all of that aspect. We got briefly into like immune support and things like that, but not really. So with David, I was able to just like really go deep into the immune boosting, like how to support your body during this time. We talked about fasting. So what did he think about fasting and immunity for viruses? There's a lot of opinions out there about that. Like don't fast longer than XYZ or whatever. So it was wonderful. I will put a link to the episode in the show notes, listeners, because it was just fantastic. But basically, because I asked him that, I was like, you know, people are all over the fence about should you fast? Should you not fast? You know, all this stuff. The reason I brought it up, well, I was going to bring it up anyway, but he brought it up first. He was saying that lifestyle-wise, you know, what was he doing to support his health during this time? And he was saying, you know, not eating all throughout the day. I think he normally, you know, skips breakfast, might eat like a late lunch. So I was like, what do you think about fasting during this time? And he said, he thinks like, you know, your daily, like 24 hour, one meal a day, 16, eight, whatever is completely fine. We talked about it because I brought up when I was doing research for What Went Wine, how I'd come across these studies saying, and we talked about this before in the podcast at length. Right. We did. Yeah. I won't go into too much detail, but basically like our intuitive response, like starve a fever, feed a cold might have to do with bacterial versus viral infections. And that basically our bodies are pretty intuitive when it comes to if you should be hungry or not. But then there was the caveat of some viruses might have the ability to actually hijack the immune system and when you actually should be eating. And he said that he was very familiar with that exact study and that he agreed that basically if you're not sick, immunity, intermittent fasting is great. Probably not the time to do an extended fast right now. And what did he consider to be an extended fast of how long you should be cautious about I'd have to recheck the transcript, which by the way, there's a full transcript if you're a reader rather than a listener. The show notes for it are melanieavalon.com slash immunity. I think if I'm going off memory, I think he said that the idea that I got was basically like not more than a day. That was the idea that I got. The idea that I got was that it was good to be like fasting daily, but don't, because I think when most people like fast for an entire day and then the next day, that's really like with the idea of like fasting longer, you know? Well, you know, some people do ADF. That's the only thing. The fast and then eat and then fast and then eat. Those are the people that have the questions. All he said was, oh, I love that I do transcripts now. He said, quote, oh, this is so so exciting. He didn't say specifically. He just said, I think really long fast would be an issue. And then we got into the discussion about bacterial versus viral. So 
Now is not the time to start a very long fast is the takeaway. Yes, exactly. But in any case, so that was the takeaway with that. And Oh, and then also, but he was saying, and this was so perfect because actually I'd asked for questions for him and somebody in my Facebook group had asked if you were admitted to the hospital, should you eat the hospital food or fast in the hospital? And he was like, yeah, the hospital food is pretty terrible, but you should definitely be eating. <laughs> um, so you don't want to not be eating in that situation. So hopefully not many of our listeners will end up in that situation. But you know, if you're in the hospital under medical care, definitely do what the medical practitioners recommend. This is not the time to be like, I'm just going to fast this out. Right. Yep. Good advice. And then I asked him about serapeptase. Because the reason I thought it was so important was I'd heard him talking before about, so, you know, COVID targets the lungs. And I'd heard him talking about how the mucus layer is important for potentially keeping out the virus. And a lot of us take serapeptase because it, you know, clears out our mucus and clears out our sinuses. So I was like, is this actually not a good thing to be taking right now? Like, do we want to actually have mucus and all of this stuff? And first of all, he was fascinated by serapeptase. He had not heard of it. He was like, why are more medical practitioners not using it? But he said after hearing what it was, and he hadn't read the studies, so I sent him some studies after, but I think the takeaway was that, yes, your mucus lining is protective against viral infections. So especially if you're airing on the really dry side, if you're finding serapeptase is making you really dry, which a lot of people like turn to it because it, you know, clears out their system, you know, might want to dose down or, you know, potentially stop taking it. He did say if you do have COVID and and the issues that after that happens, once you have the virus, there tends to be a lot of mucus, a lot of congestion that is no longer helpful and you do want to clear that. So if you're on the flip side and you do have the flu or a cold and lots of congestion, I think serpeptase would probably be helpful. So great tip. Yeah. One other thing that we started talking about, and this relates to fasting. So our mutual friend, actually James Clement, he wrote a book called The Switch, which talks a lot about fasting. He's actually going to be, by the time this comes out, he will have been on my podcast. So I'll put links to that in the show notes as well. But he sent me a very fascinating study about bacteria endotoxin, which is basically a toxic component of usually the quote bad bacteria in our system. When we eat, it can get released into the bloodstream. And one of the carriers for it, it doesn't really carry it, but the way that it's transported into the body is when we have dietary fat. So having a higher fat meal can increase endotoxin. I promise this relates to fasting. can increase endotoxin in the blood. And the study that he sent me was comparing the effect of diabetics versus like obese patients versus normal people. And after having a high fat meal, did they have more or less endotoxin in the blood? And um, it was found that those with metabolic issues like diabetes and blood sugar regulation, things like that, after a high fat meal, they had much more higher amounts of these endotoxin. In case you're wondering, the number one cause of death in hospitals related to, so like not the condition that you're there for, but when people die in the hospital, not from the condition they were there for is actually from endotoxin. So the study was called High Fat Intake Leads to Acute Postprandial Exposure to Circulating Endotoxin in Type 2 Diabetic Subjects. And... The fascinating takeaway in the study, and then it was funny because I sent this study to David Sinclair and he pulled out the exact same paragraph I had focused on. So this was their conclusion. These findings, basically the idea that, you know, higher fat foods increase endotoxin and those with metabolic issues. These findings highlight the point that requesting patients to eat smaller, more frequent meals may actually increase their inflammatory risk further, especially in subjects with type 2 diabetes who tend to favor high fat foods. Finally, while the most obvious solution to metabolic endotoxemia appears to be reduced saturated fat intake, the Western diet is not conducive to this mode of action, and it is difficult for patients to comply with this request. So basically, the study wasn't about fasting or anything, but their conclusion was that eating constantly throughout the day, especially if you have metabolic issues, could be a problem because of releasing this endotoxin. So another reason to keep on with your fasting. Well, I've just noticed since, you know, I've been living the intermittent fasting lifestyle, it's very rare that I've gotten sick at all. And none of them have really kept me down for a long time. But coincidentally, the times when I have gotten sick are all 
clustered around a vacation or a holiday or a time that I'm eating more frequently. Same. So it tends to make a difference for me. Like traveling, I'll start getting sneezy, you know, on, on a trip. Same here. I think we, we already talked about this at length, so we don't have to go into it again. But I think when COVID first started or quarantine or social isolation, I feel like a lot of people, their immediate response was, I'm just going to, you know, it was, a lot, it was a lot of stress. It's a lot of stress. So it was like, let me just eat and not fast right now. But I think now more than ever, and this was the takeaway from my conversation with David, was that this is what he said I thought was so beautiful. He was like, now is the time to get stronger, not um, like you have this time to rest. You can still do your exercise, do your workouts at home, follow your eating plan. Like I think his quote was like, you can come out of this pandemic stronger and better for it. And I just thought that was really, really beautiful. I think so too. And that we don't have to use the stress as an excuse to you know, feed the stress. Instead, we can say, no, I am in charge, even though so many things are out of my control. I'm in control with my daily fast, and I feel better when I do it, and it's protective, and so I'm I'm doing it. Lean into that fasting time and appreciate that for what it is. Exactly, exactly. You know, take a long bath, you know, if you feel stressed out. That's soothing. You know, find another way to feel good. Exactly. And then one more last resource for listeners. You can actually, if you want, honestly, my opinion, the best updates on the whole COVID situation, the science of everything, David has a free email newsletter and it's just, it's incredible. So it's completely free. You can get on it. I made a link to it to make it easy. It's melanieavalon.com slash David Sinclair. You can get on his email list. So shall we jump into the questions? Yes. Our first is from Christiani. And the subject is dreaming of food and garlic taste. And she said that she is from Brazil, but living in Gonzales, Texas. And she says, hello, Melanie and Jen. Thank you so much for changing lives and making this a better world to live in. Even though we've never met or talked, I feel that you are my true friends and always want the best for me and my beloved ones. I'm so grateful I found your podcast. You totally complement each other in this business partnership And that's what makes the IF podcast a great tool for people that want to be healthy and happy. Melanie brings the latest research, valuable information, and new things to keep us excited and open-minded about what can really change the way we live for better. On the other hand, I feel Jen is one of us. She lives a more normal life and can express how most of us feel with our answers and reactions, trying to find a way to make things work on a regular basis. In my opinion, Melanie is our scientist and Jen is our therapist. Anyway, both of you are amazing and very appreciated. I have two questions that I don't think have been answered in the podcast yet. If they did, apologies, as I didn't listen to the first episodes. Number one, you girls said that even smells can trigger your body to produce insulin, right? How about dreaming of food? I remember in one episode that Melanie said she dreamt of eating some type of dessert I can't remember the name now. I can. It was Funfetti Cupcakes. (laughs) How many times people daily send me pictures, not daily, but a Funfetti. I'm like, stop. I love it. (laughs) Stop. And, And she could taste it like it was real. Last night, I had a dream that I was at a party and they had a dessert table and I was trying a piece of everything. They did taste delicious and very real. Why doesn't that cause our bodies to produce insulin? Number two, if I eat a plate that has lots of garlic for lunch, I wake up still tasting the garlic the next day, even if I don't eat anything else after. Does that mean that my body never goes to fasting mode until the taste disappears? Thank you very much for your time and consideration. Love, Christiani. I loved this email so much. Me too. Thank you so much for your support, Christiani. That was really, really wonderful. And I actually had an epiphany, Jen, that I didn't think was going to happen that relates to this. Okay. I stand by my stance that if I were to have Funfetti, it would taste phenomenal. I stand by that. I know you think that I wouldn't like it anymore. I think it wouldn't. I like, I really want you to try it. But you never had an addiction. It was never the one thing that like... Well, Stevia was the one thing that I had to have all the time and now I can't stand it. So, you know, I I really do think our taste buds change. Oh, I do. But I think I would still, I just know I would love it. But I did have a sort of realization that is more in line with what you think with my response. We were talking about stress and COVID. 
not going to lie. When it first happened, I had a stress eating moment and I was like, I'm going to go get some gluten-free, paleo-friendly cookie dough stuff. And I got some. It tasted amazing. So that didn't change. That's why I'm pretty sure Funfetti would taste amazing. But I was not anticipating to actually think it tasted too sweet. And it did. And I was thinking about it. I was like, did these things taste this sweet growing up when I was eating them? They were just so sweet. I guarantee you would taste that Funfetti and you would taste the chemicals in there and you don't remember tasting them because your tongue wasn't that sensitive to them then. I think the chemicals are what I was addicted to. Like that's why I think Funfetti specifically, I think I'm addicted to whatever those. Yeah, but you haven't had them for so long. I think you would be like, ugh, I really want you to try it. Mm -mm, I can't. Like it's too much of a trigger. I couldn't. I just know me. <laughs> no, I don't think anything good would come from it. But if we had to like bet, like honestly, I there are a few things I would bet my life on. There are very, very few things. But if it was like, Melanie, would you like really like this? I actually would bet my life on it. <laughs> but I was shocked to realize it was that sweet. The quote, normal sweetness. To Christiani's question. So the first one about, she compared, you know, dreaming about food and would it release insulin? I actually had a huge epiphany here just while, while you were reading the question that I'm excited. Do you want to go ahead and give your thoughts, Jen? No, I want to hear your epiphany. My epiphany was, well, I think, yes, it could release insulin. I don't think it necessarily would, but I don't see why it could not. My epiphany is that, so when we release insulin in the body, there's a two-phase response this is such an epiphany. Oh my goodness. And I think why don't we should talk. I feel like this is more important for when we talk about smells and thoughts about food. There's a two-phase response. It's called the two-phase cephalic. Yeah. Yeah. In the brain is what that means. It's a brain response. Yeah. Yeah. Related to the pancreas. It's not just in the brain. It starts in the brain. That's the cephalic part. So like the brain senses the taste and then it triggers the response. Yes. And so the insulin kind of comes in two waves normally. So there's like a little bit at the beginning and that's what comes out when you're thinking about the food, anticipating the food, maybe taste that first sweet taste, maybe dreaming about it. And it's like a little bit of insulin. And then the theory is that once you actually start eating, then the pancreas starts actively producing more insulin. But they think that that first amount of insulin, your pancreas kind of has like ready and waiting <laughs> for when this happens. So what I think is so important is that, so if we have a thought and we release that first part of insulin, we taste a little bit of sweet, release that first part of insulin. This is just me theorizing, but I don't think that would instigate the second response, which is the huge amount of insulin, because that comes after you actually start eating. So I can see how thinking about food, dreaming about food, whatever might release that first phase insulin response, but I don't think it's going to release that second phase. And then on top of that, if you're not actually eating, obviously you're not you know, engaging in the the whole eating system. So it's not breaking your fast is the point. Whether or not your insulin is high or low doesn't affect if you're fasting. Only it affects it for fat burning necessarily. You know, it'll affect that. Exactly. It could maybe drop your blood sugar, make cortisol go up, make, you know, things like that. Maybe release glycogen rather than fat, burn glycogen rather than fat. It can change what you're burning, but it's not going to change if you're fasting. You're still fasting. Yeah. And of course, it's different if you're like drinking a diet soda, because that's more than just one little tiny, you know, part one. It just keeps going and going and you keep drinking it and drinking it. So because you're actually ingesting that it's and it's over and over. Like I said, I just had this epiphany while you we were talking. So I'd have to research, like, is it possible to instigate that second phase without eating? I don't know the answer. I'll have to look that up. Well, you could just have the first phase over and over every time you drink it. Well, the thing I don't know is because from what I'd read, and this is just me recalling from memory, it seems that the first phase is literally, like I said, the it's the insulin your pancreas already has ready, and then the pancreas has to produce more, and that and producing it more, I believe that's the second phase. So I don't know if that part happens. You know, I don't know. I have to look into it. But I mean, obviously, your pancreas could start creating more and more. So I just don't know how it relates specifically. So Jen, do you think if you're dreaming about food that it would release insulin? I think it it's like one of those things. It's like we can't worry about that because your dreams are dreams and you can't change them or stop them. And I don't like to worry about things that I cannot control. And also you're sleeping. You know, <laughs> that's not the part of the day when you're, you know, your body's like super duper burning a ton of fat. I mean, you're you're sleeping, you're very still. I would not even 
worry about that at all. I mean, even if you are releasing a little bit of insulin, it's not going to matter very much because you're sleeping. You're not going to feel a blood sugar crash. You're not going to be hungry from it. It's not making the fast harder because you're asleep. You know, you're not at your peak fat burning because you're sleeping. And also, we're also hypothesizing we don't really know. And you can't control it. So this is the perfect storm of Jen the therapist saying, don't even worry about that. I love it. <laughs> really? I mean, it's it's just not one of those things that you can control. And so honestly, stressing about that question could actually have a more negative response than just saying, hey, it doesn't even matter. This is so true. Hi, friends. We hope you're enjoying the show. I wanted to clarify something really quickly from a prior episode. As you know, we are passionate fans here of Feels CBD oil, especially during these stressful times. It can have massive beneficial effects on your mood and anxiety and in a healthy way, which is key. It's really supportive of your natural cannabinoid system rather than being an addictive substance that's going to hurt you. We wanted to make sure the spelling was right. It's Feels, F-E-A-L-S. And they are offering our listeners 50% off, which is incredible. And you can get that at feels.com slash ifpodcast. Again, that's feels, F-E-A-L-S dot com forward slash ifpodcast. That offer also includes free shipping. And we're also super excited because we have a specific resource for those of you who may be struggling to make healthy meals from your pantry and freezer, especially during these times. We've been a longtime partner of PrepDish, and they're doing something especially for COVID right now. So PrepDish is an amazing meal prep service. They're not a delivery service, but rather they provide grocery and recipe lists so that you can go to the store, get all the ingredients you need, do all your prep all at once for the entire week, and then be good to go. It saves so much stress, so much time, and the meals are all gluten-free, and they can also be paleo or keto-friendly as well. And right now, PrepTish is providing listeners a free plan, all made with ingredients direct from your pantry and freezer. So you can really take the stress out of mealtime. You can get that at PrepDish.com pantry. And of course, you can also get two weeks free of their normal service, which includes more of the refrigerator. That will be at PrepDish.com slash ifpodcast. And using that link, you will actually get a two-week free trial, which is amazing. So if you'd like to make healthy, gluten-free, paleo, and or keto meals in the safety of your home, with minimum stress, all the steps you need, get it all done at once and be good to go, PrepDish is the company for you. And again, this is all free. We're also supported in part today by Blue Blocks. I was talking about that in the beginning with Jen. As you guys know, I'm really, really all about hacking your light exposure, especially when it comes to blue and red light. So blue light is a type of high energy light found in natural daylight. It's awesome because it can keep you alert, keep you going, but the problem is we are way overexposed to it in today's modern environment. With all of our electronics, fluorescent lights, lack of darkness, it has really become a problem and has been linked to so many health conditions. We're talking things like anxiety, insomnia, stress, and so much more. That's why I've been wearing blue light blocking glasses for quite a while now. And recently I had Andy Mant, the founder of Blue Blocks on the Melanie Avalon biohacking podcast. And honestly, that conversation made me completely reevaluate my entire blue light blocking methods. I mean, I was already a fan of blue blocking, but after talking to Andy, I now understand that most blue light blocking glasses on the market actually don't block the blue light that you need to be blocking. It's sort of shocking. <laughs> That's why Andy actually founded Blue Blocks. So Blue Blocks offers advanced light filtering eyewear that helps you improve your sleep and health. It blocks the specific wavelengths of blue that you need to be blocking to take back your natural light exposure and really fix your circadian rhythm and stress levels. What I love about Blue Blocks is they actually have glasses to fit every scenario. They have computer glasses with clear lens, and those are great to combat digital eye strain when you're working at a computer all day long. They've also got their yellow summer glow lens, and I actually learned when interviewing Andy that there's actually two types of blue light, and the summer glow lens actually block the specific type of blue light that is tied to anxiety, depression, migraines, and low mood, while still allowing in the wavelengths of blue light that can keep you alert and awake. 
That's why the summer glow lens are great for wearing during the day. And they're tinted with a special yellow color shown to boost mood. Bluebox also has their signature Sleep Plus lens. Those are the red toned lens that you'll see. And when you put them on right before bed, you instantly get tired. I'm not making this up. I remember the first time I ever put on a pair and the effect was profound. And what's the best part? Not only are Blue Blocks glasses scientifically tested to block the exact wavelengths you need to be blocking, but for every pair of Blue Blocks glasses you buy, Blue Blocks will actually donate a pair of reading glasses to someone in need in the developing world. And of course, Blue Blocks has a special offer just for our listeners. You can get 15% off your purchase. Just go to blueblocks.com and enter the code IFPODCAST at checkout. Again, that's B-L-U- blox.com and enter the code ifpodcast at checkout and you'll get 15% off your order. All right, now back to the show. And then Christiani's second question was about having garlic for lunch and then tasting garlic the next day. Does that mean she's not fasting? Okay, so great question. So the reason people experience oftentimes garlic for a long time, it's because it contains a particular compound. It's a type of methyl sulfide, but basically it takes a long time for the body to metabolize it. Some people metabolize it faster than others. That's why some people, you know, can like just rake of garlic and others don't. It it depends on how fast you metabolize it. But basically you eat garlic, you know, you ingest this compound, it goes into the bloodstream And then eventually, like down the road, it's vaporized through the lungs, and that's when you get the bad breath. So the taste and or the smell that you're having, I know she's like tasting it, it's likely because that compound just can take really long to metabolize. So it's not a matter of fasting or fat burning or anything like that. Right. Your body doesn't think you're eating delicious something. Yeah, it's like the compound, most likely the reason you're tasting it, unless it's like literally just still stuck in your mouth, it's probably just because we detox through our mouth as well as our skin. So it's probably the garlic went into your body, was being metabolized, and is now coming back out. I do not have that issue. I eat so much garlic. Do you eat garlic? I'm so sad. I adore it and I would eat it more, but I I metabolize it so slow and it really lingers. So I have to be really careful, which makes me sad because otherwise I would eat it like all the time. Yeah, we do. We eat it all the time. I like put extra garlic and stuff and yeah. So that was a really great question though. It was. It was a very good question. Now we have a question from Michelle. The subject is what happened? Michelle says, hi ladies. Thank you for all that you do to help out so many people. I've been clean fasting since August 11th, 2019. I had seen a friend from high school on Facebook. I graduated 20 years ago and she looked amazing. For some context, she had historically been quite overweight for a few decades. I reached out to her to compliment her, and I asked her what she had been doing. She said she has been doing intermittent fasting for a year. I couldn't believe it. I had heard about intermittent fasting, but didn't really know what it entailed. So I dove right in and began researching IF. She told me about the book AC, The Power of Appetite Correction by Bert Herring. That's one of Jen's favorites. I said that. (laughs) She said I read it and found it to make a lot of sense. Also, I discovered Jen's book, Delay, Don't Deny, and her Intermittent Fasting Stories podcast. So within the week, I jumped right in with a 19.5 clean fast since that was what my friend was doing. And I began binge listening to Jen's IF Stories podcast and eventually the IF podcast also. After a few weeks, I was feeling great. The brain fog was gone and I had great energy. I eventually lost about 20 pounds by mid-October, but didn't really lose any inches. And then the weight loss just stopped. I've maintained my 20 pound weight loss, but it's now April, 2020, and I haven't lost any additional weight, nor have I lost any inches. My clothes fit exactly the same and nothing seems to have changed anymore. My fasting has typically varied anywhere from 19.5 to 20.22 and sometimes even 16.8 depending on the day. This COVID-19 staying at home business has strained the eating window a bit, but even before all of that started, I had stopped losing weight in inches. I eat a sensibly, mostly whole foods diet. I've used the meal subscription services a few nights a week and love that, although I'm super sad that plated is no more. That was my favorite. I have food allergies, so I don't eat gluten, dairy, or eggs, and I don't eat a lot of sugar nor drink a lot of alcohol. Well, in full disclosure, since COVID-19 and working from home and homeschooling, my quote, only drinking on the weekends has stretched into the weekday evening sometimes, but I still limit the amount. 
This is me just plugging in. You might want to try farm wines, Michelle. Moving on. I recently had my metabolism tested and it should have been at 2,300 calories since I weigh 230, but it was at 1,500 calories. That is really, really low. I'm not sure why it is so low and it's really discouraging. I am also 5'5 for reference. Intermittent fasting is naturally limiting my calories because I can't physically eat too much with a shortened window, but I don't know why I'm not seeing any results and why I haven't seen results for months. I'm in Jen's Facebook groups, and it's hard to not get discouraged when I see other people's amazing results even after a few months. And here I've been clean fasting now for eight months and seeing no results. I realize that IF is a health plan with a side effect of weight loss. I was thinking Jen, and then she said, wink to Jen. And she said, (laughs) and that... And that things could be happening internally that I'm not aware of, but you would think that after eight months, I would be at least losing tons of inches. Do either of you ladies have any idea of what could be happening and why IF doesn't seem to be, quote, working anymore? I really appreciate the time and energy you both put into helping all of us who need it. You two are incredible. Thank you, Michelle. Well, thank you for your email, Michelle. Yep. I've got a suggestion and you've probably seen me give it in the group or heard me give it on the podcast. And maybe you're like, la, 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 don't want to hear it, la, la, la. But if you are plateaued to this degree on the eating window approach, then Melanie, do you know what I'm going to tell Michelle to do? Start weighing every day. Wait, let me think. Wait, let me think. Wait, wait, let me think. Let me think. Let me think. Hold on. Hold on. Let me think. Tighten up your window. Nope, nope, I'm not. Fast 36 hour? Yeah, I think she needs to move to the up down day approach, either alternate daily fasting or 4 3. Reread the up and down day chapter of Delay, Don't Deny. And I'm really so much more clear about this in the new book coming out. I think the new date is June 16th. It's been delayed two weeks, but not denied, June 16th. But when your body reaches homeostasis, which, you know, if you're at the same weight for eight months or you've lost 20 pounds initially and then, you know, here you are not losing anymore, your body has found this this equilibrium and you're not losing any weight. So that's when the up and down day approach is so good for you. And it's because you have the metabolic boost of the up day and then you have the fat burning boost from the down day. So, you know, you can think of the down day as a full 36 to 42 hour fast, or you can have a 500 calorie meal, a small meal. You fast clean through the whole day, have one little 500 calorie meal, then fast clean again till the next day. And then the second day, the up day, that's when you would have at least two meals. Three is okay, but you're trying to have that metabolic boost. You know, you said you had your metabolism tested and it came out at, you know, 1,500 calories. You know, I'm going to take your word for it and assume that was completely accurate. That is low. So the up day is the boost that boosts your metabolism. So, you know, the research we have on overfeeding, and I really go into detail in this in the new book, overfeeding is eating more than your body needs. You know, what does your body do when you eat more than it needs? Well, it upregulates your metabolism. So the up days, boom, boost your metabolism. Then the down days, you know, you're fasting clean unless you choose to have that 500-calorie meal, and then you're fasting clean before the meal, and then again, you're fasting clean after the meal, but you're still having time to really tap into those fat stores because that 500-calorie meal is just a tiny little blip. If you can fast clean all the way through 36 hours, 42 hours, that's fine as well. But that up-down pattern is really good for for getting things going again. And a lot of women who tend to plateau with the daily eating window approach find that ADF or the up-and-down day approach, even if it's 4-3, that that really helps. So 4-3 would be four up days and three down days. It's like when I did that approach back in, gosh, it was right after the obesity code came out. So it was like March of 2016 because that's the plan he described. So I was like, well, that's what he has. I'm going to do it. You know, I was having three down days a week, and my down days were Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday. So I didn't eat on Sunday. I didn't eat on Tuesday. I didn't eat on Thursday. And the other days of the week, I usually didn't eat breakfast, but I always would have lunch and dinner on those days. So, you know, if you would prefer the regularity of always knowing on Sunday I don't eat, on Tuesday I don't eat, on Thursday I don't eat, you know, you could be any three days you want as long as they're not sequential. After every 
you know, full fast or down day, you want to have an up day. But 4-3 is really great for predictability. Or you could do just a straight up every other day. So it would be Monday, don't eat. Tuesday, you eat. Wednesday, don't eat. And just keep going with that pattern. But some people don't like that as much just because, you know, it means like one Friday you're eating, the next Friday you're not. It's a little harder to plan. So really just think about what sounds right to you. Some people are really scared to try ADF or the up and down day approach just because it sounds like it's going to be so hard. But once you get into the groove, you might love it. And again, in light of what we just said at the beginning of the podcast with, you know, do we want to fast longer than 36 hours right now? Maybe not. You know, maybe stick to 36 on the down days or have, you know, that 500 calorie meal or just say, you know what, I'm going to continue to maintain for now with my eating window approach and I'm going to try alternate daily fasting later when I'm not so worried about, you know, the virus. That's just something to keep in mind. But yeah, I know it's frustrating. And the eating window approach is just such a nice pattern that feels so much like a lifestyle. But if you're trying to tap into fat and your body's not doing it, you know, the up and down day approach is just a really great way to, you know, think of it as therapeutic and not, you know, this is how I'm going to live for the rest of my life. What do you think, Melanie? Yeah, I think that's great. And I had two suggestions. The one that's similar to you was something I've talked about before, but it's very similar. Like it's the idea of doing something like a protein sparing modified fast for about two weeks or so, which is basically super high protein, very low fat and low carbs with the understanding that it's supporting your metabolism with the protein, basically leading to a fast weight loss but then you're not doing it long-term. It's not meant to be long-term. And like Lyle McDonald is the person who has the protocol. The caveat with this situation is, well, you also include based on your starting weight, you have potential like metabolic boosting refeed days that are predominantly involving carbs. The caveat here is I often, I do think it's very valid for people who have hit plateaus. I don't know if it changes because those people who have plateaus, maybe their metabolism is very low as well. But I am a little bit nervous. You know, we know or we think we know that her metabolism is already very low. So if you did do that, you would definitely make sure that you want to start with like the metabolism boosting aspect of it. I was actually though reading a really interesting study last night. It was called Intermittent Energy Restriction Improves Weight Loss Efficiency in Obese Men. That actually sounds like ADF in a way, right? Because intermittent energy restriction. It's talking intermittent about alternating, intermittently alternating calorie restriction. That's like a calorie cycling. Yeah. So basically they were comparing... It was in 51 obese patients, and they did different types of eating blocks, like basically constant, it was 16 weeks, so basically constantly being energy restricted. And I'm not saying, obviously with intermittent fasting, Michelle, with intermittent fasting, it's very possible that you're not, quote, calorie restricted, but it's possible that your body is perceiving being in a calorie restricted state, if that makes sense. Like as far as like the stress hormones and, and down regulating metabolism. So even though you might not be calorie restricted, there might be some sort of like issue there with me- metabolic downregulation. Adjustment. Yeah. You've adjusted to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so this study was looking at the difference between basically continuously having energy restriction. That's why I made that clarification because they were doing like calorie-restricted diet, not intermittent fasting for 16 weeks compared to alternating and having two-week blocks of energy restriction and then two-week blocks of maintenance and then two-week blocks of energy restriction, two-week blocks of maintenance. So like going back and forth. And they actually found greater weight loss and fat loss with the blocks. So basically, that's not what you would expect. You would think the people who are doing constant calorie restriction for 16 weeks would lose more. But actually, the people who did two-week blocks of calorie restriction, two-week blocks of maintenance, two-week blocks of calorie restriction, two-week blocks of maintenance, they lost more weight. I would actually expect that that they would lose more weight. So I would. I would too. Yeah. (laughs) Based on what I know about how the metabolism works, I would 100% have expected that. It's funny. I said that and I was like, I should probably clarify that Jen and I would expect that. But Right. Because the whole point of a low calorie long-term diet is that your body does downregulate your metabolic rate over time. And we know this over and over and over again. But this is like ADF, but for two weeks. So it's alternate two week, but it's not fasting. It's, it's calorie cycling. And you know, Melanie, 
if you think back to the ADF protocols, like 5-2, which is not really ADF, it's up and down day, but you have two down days a week. But the early ADF and 5-2 and every other day and all of that, people were spreading out those 500 calories over the whole day. So they weren't really fasting. They really were having extreme low-calorie day, normal day, extreme low-calorie day, normal day. It wasn't fasting. It was having tiny breakfast, tiny lunch, tiny, you know, 500 calories spread out over the day. And I remember trying that and it was like so hard to do because, you know, we know why. You know, it's harder to eat a tiny little bit throughout the day than it is to just fast. But they found benefits from those low-calorie, high-calorie alternating. It's, it's really those early plans were more calorie cycling than they were fasting, but we still considered them, you know, the modified fast because you're eating, you know, those 500 calories. Yeah, exactly. To this point, this study, obviously, I'm assuming was not looking at, you know, what they were eating. But I think if you did the calorie restriction and even with like the ADF, that 500 calorie day, if you made it the macros, sort of like what I was talking about before with the proteins bearing modified fast, which, yeah, I think that would probably be the most protective of the metabolism in this type of situation. As far as the macros go, I imagine you might even see, you know, greater benefits. My second suggestion is like completely not even related to fasting, but it's something I talked about a million times, so I won't go into a lot of detail. But if you are eating mixed macros, trying either super, super low fat or super, super low carb. And when I say like super low fat, I mean, if you're doing it for this reason, I mean, super low fat. Like, so don't add any fats and choose, you know, lean meats, veggies, fruits, if you do grains, you know, that type of stuff, no added fats and all of the lean cuts of meat, that can quite possibly do it as well. I actually think that would be more likely to do it than super low carb. Just a thought. And the reason I keep clarifying the super low fat is because you can, even just adding like a little bit of fat because of just the research that has been done on these super low fat diets and their potentially metabolic benefits and weight loss, it's like once you go over probably 10 or 20 grams of fat, it kind of just dissolves. It's like you have to be pretty strict, but it's it's pretty fascinating. The potential weight loss slash metabolic benefits you can get from that. And I say that so hesitantly because I know people hear things and they just run with it. <laughs> so, right. But <laughs> just putting it out there. Yeah. We have time for one more question. This is from Jackie and the subject is heartburn. Jackie says, hello, Jen and Melanie. I love, love, love your podcast. Listen every day. Started IF a couple of months ago, first 16.8, now at 19.5, and loving it, except I'm having a ton of heartburn even when fasting. Is this normal? And suggestions to help me deal with this? Thanks again, Jackie. Jackie, thank you for your question. So is it normal? Yes and no. It's, it's not the normal state for the body to have, but it is a normal state that our bodies often get into. So... Yes. It can be two things. You feel heartburn when stomach acid is going up into your throat. And conventional thinking is that that's because you're producing too much stomach acid. So you'd want to take things like protein pump inhibitors. This is what the conventional response is to downregulate your stomach acid. There are cases where that's the case, but more often than not, it's my belief, I think increasingly more we're becoming aware of this, is that if you don't have enough stomach acid while you're eating. And I think this can happen a lot with intermittent fasting when people first start because they start eating a lot more food in a smaller amount of time than they were before. So they might not be producing enough stomach acid. So what happens is you're not digesting the food because you don't have enough stomach acid. So then the the food is like building up or like, that's why you get the heartburn because it's, you're not digesting it and you're getting the reflux from that. So you actually might likely benefit from adding sounds ironic, but HCL, which is actually adding more acid to your meal to help break it down. We do partner with a company called Bioptimizers, and they have a supplement called HCL Breakthrough. That can quite possibly help with this. But I think a lot of people do experience this. And I think starting with supplementing with HCL can possibly be a game changer for you. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Jen, do you have thoughts about heartburn and fasting? Yeah. Heartburn is just a real problem in society in general these days. You know, it's like Everywhere you go, you see tons of heartburn remedies. So it's definitely something that a lot of people struggle with, whether they're fasting or not fasting. So yeah, Melanie gave some good advice. Also, you can try HCL would be the thing I would really go for because of the heartburn, but also digestive enzymes can help you digest your food. So Bioptimizers make some. There's other brands that make them as well. But yeah, just getting your food digesting can quite likely help this problem. I don't want to say 
it's going to solve it, but I, I think for most people, it does. <laughs> so, yep. All right. Well, this has been absolutely wonderful. So a few things for listeners before we go. If you'd like to submit your own questions for the podcast, you can directly email questions at ifpodcast.com or you can go to ifpodcast.com and you can submit questions there. You can find all of these stuff we like at ifpodcast.com slash stuff we like. We are a Himalaya partnered show. And if you follow us in the Himalaya app, which is my favorite app for listening to podcasts ever, you can get early access to our podcast 24 hours in advance. So definitely check that out. You can also follow us on Instagram. We are IF Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon. Jen is Jen Stevens. And you can follow us on Twitter. We are the IF Pod. Any final thoughts from you, Jen, before we go? Nope. I think that's it. All right. Well, this has been absolutely wonderful. And I will talk to you next week. All right. Talk to you then. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember that everything discussed on the show is not medical advice. We're not doctors. You can also check out our other podcasts, Intermittent Fasting Stories and the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. Theme music was composed by Leland Cox. See you next week.